You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to the Break a Bat podcast where baseball meets Broadway. An attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to Break a Bat. I'm your host, Al Malafrante, coming at you from the Broadway Podcast Network studios, fresh off the final bow for the 2019 Yankees. So now it's a full decade without a championship, 2009 being the last one. Uh, This one hurt. The team fought all year, fought through adversity, a lot of unsung heroes. But as we all know, not every show has a happy ending. (laughs) 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 Just the verbiage in retrospect. We don't have to use the left. I like it. Let me get back. Hang on. (laughs) While I'm mostly disappointed in the performance from the Yankee offense and the way the season came to a close, I feel fortunate that there's one Broadway power hitter that I have the chance to hang out with tonight, and she never disappoints. My guest today made her Broadway debut right after that last Yankee championship in 2009 when she took the stage in The Addams Family. After stints in Wonderland, Godspell, and Motown the Musical, She fast established herself as part of the fabric of this great Broadway community through her distinct and incredible singing voice. Whether it's Carnegie Hall, Les Poisons Rouge, or Joe's Pub, the odds are strong that you've seen her performances as she's since gone on to launch one of the most successful solo singing careers of any Broadway performer this decade. With a new album ready to launch, she just released a new single, I Don't Mind Waking Up to a Love This Good, and like her other work, it's a real grand slam. If you'll please turn your attention to home plate just beyond the marquee, now batting, Morgan James. Hi, Morgan. Thank you. What an intro. Don't you just miss the theatrics of, like, Broadway? I kind of do, actually, yeah. I was thinking, though, I was thinking about what would I bat, you know, in terms of, I, I'd like to think I'd bat cleanup. Power hitter. Yeah, I would like to think that, yeah. I, I used that. to think I was scrappy, you know, coming up, you know, like out of Juilliard trying to make it. I would think like I was kind of like lead off or, you know, stealing. Yeah, I could tell you know, like you a get spark established, Yeah, exactly. As you get established, you feel more confident. You can bat forth. That is the truth. Are you a baseball <laughs> fan? I am a baseball fan, yeah. Huge. Tell, how did that happen? Well, I, I'm kind of a negligent baseball fan, I have to admit. So I don't... Um, 
I'm kind of sad to admit that. Uh, baseball was just such a huge part of my growing up. And uh, it was something that my family and I did together all the time. Um, went to games, watched games, and I had Ricky Henderson posters on my wall. And uh, kind of followed him from team to team. So even so, I guess that started with the A's, and then even when he went to the Yankees and whatnot, you were and still the Blue fan Jays. of his. And the Blue Jays, that's yeah, right. Yeah, I loved Daryl Strawberry. I loved Ricky Henderson. I loved um, Eckersley. I loved, uh, you know, and I. I grew up in Idaho, so we didn't have a team. So you kind of adopt a player or two and follow them around, or at least that's what I did as a kid. And I just loved, um, I think it's such a thinking game, and it's such a, uh, I love, I play a long game in life, so I like the fact that there's so many games and it's such a long um, season and, and you have to strategize. And there's something about that that really appeals to me intellectually. <laughs> and then when I moved to New York, heyday of the Yankees. I moved to New York in 1999. The pinnacle. The pinnacle. Joe Torre dynasty. Oh, Yankees. absolutely. I mean, and it was so. My first memories here were so magical. I'm moving here in fall of '99. You know, that was the best postseason Yankee team of all time. Of they won 11 and one. I know. Just as and, you got here. Yeah, and that whole. I mean, the next several years, as you know, was just so incredible. And so I. It's it's why I still think of of moving here and and autumn in New York in such a romantic way, and uh, I just I loved going to games. We went to games all the time when I first moved here. Well, that you know the first probably ten years I was here, I went to games all the time. Who was uh, who was your favorite dynasty <clears throat> Yankee? Oh, uh, Mariano Rivera. Interesting. I have the Rivera jersey in every form, and yeah, yeah. I I mean I'm I just the closer, the mind of the closer. It's it's just so um, incredible to me. I mean, I, I love the old way of thinking about baseball. It's like, you know, um, when, when, when we used to be able to bring in a starter and, and a closer, a true closer, you know, not, there never used to be any middle relief, you know? So I loved that. And the idea of um, what he had to go through to really First of all, no one knows how old he is. He's just like a magical <laughs> unicorn. <laughs> I really don't think anyone knows how old he is. And I just loved the mindset of that. And I always related to it about being having to be on and come in and save a game. I just love that whole concept. It, and it took a while to really find a suitable replacement. Luckily, we have Araldus Chapman yeah. now. who He's been an all-star the past two seasons. I know he came up a little short on Saturday night, but yeah, there's some, there is something about that mindset that is, that is just, it's true performance. True performance, first of all, yeah. Under the highest amount of pressure. Yeah. You know, when, and when you interview any other, or when people would interview any other player, sometimes, you know, I, I always think it's funny when I used to see interviews of like with Jeter, where the, every single game they're interviewing him, like it's the, you know, final game of the series. And he's like, there are 162 games. Like we, but a closer you know, really doesn't have the same luxury of thinking of it in terms of like the ebb and the flow of the games. So I always find that kind of interesting. Yeah, especially because, you know, when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, 162 games a year, at least nine innings per game, and they're pitching about 70. Every one of those innings count and you're under the microscope even more. Yeah. Now, during the heart of that dynasty, do you remember some of those great games that you got to see? Oh, yeah. I was at the um, game for the 2001 World Series. Oh, the, my God. The Mr. November. I was there. You were there. Yeah. Tino in the ninth, yes. Jeter in extras. Jeter. 
it was unbelievable. I was, yeah, I went to many incredible games. I got to go to uh, almost all of those postseason, at least one of those postseason games in the heyday. And, um, you know, shout out to my college sweetheart if you're listening, you know, because we had season tickets together and it was something we did together. And it was just, um, we both were passionate about baseball on Broadway and <laughs> went to Juilliard together. And so it was something that um, kind of stretched over from my family life at home into college, you know. But yeah, that's probably the best game I've ever been to. Now, when you had the season tickets, would your family come in from, I guess, LA they had moved to? Um, once? No, my family was, um, my family occasionally would come in and see games when they when they would travel in. My, my folks moved from California to Connecticut when I was in college. So they would occasionally come in and see games too. And we would go with his family or friends, you know. That's incredible. You talk about the 2001 World Series too. Uh, and those are your early days in New York. What an emotional time it was, too, right? When you think oh, about it right after 9-11 mm -hmm. and everything, that was just, like, surreal. And, and to have the Yankees really help a city heal like that. I know. It was uh, it was something else. Yeah, it really, there is, um, there's nothing like it. You know, it's it's very funny. My life has changed so much, you know. I, once I started working on Broadway, it's it was harder to um, spend the time you know, I mean, I used to have like a fantasy league. Like I spent a lot of time, you know, the thought now is kind of funny to me because I've gotten so rusty. But, um, and when I started doing Broadway shows, it's harder to keep track. It's harder to actually watch the games and go to the games. And so, uh, and now I don't even eat meat. So it's like, but when I go to the ballpark, I'm like, I want a hot dog. Like, why, why do I want a hot dog? Because it's the thing you do, you know? And, and um, the smell, of, and I love going to ballparks. I've been to like, I think like 20 ballparks. 20. How many are there? There's 30. Okay, I'm You've almost been to there. Two I'm almost there. <laughs> I always had this fantasy of doing a road trip in the summer and going to every like driving across the country and going to every ballpark. I love and I love the old ones that have been torn down that I've seen like the um what's the Minneapolis the Metrodome. The Metrodome. I love getting I got to see the Metrodome, you know, and, and obviously old Yankee Stadium and lots of old and Candlestick and, you know, great ballparks that I got to, and then see the new incarnation, you know. I love ballparks. There's something about it. And it is, it does have that sense of magic just like a Broadway theater does. Yeah. And tradition and, um, yeah, just such a, there's a wholesomeness and there's just a, um, I love, obviously this carries over into my music, but I love things that are classic. I love tradition and I love, um, I love the the history of things, you know, and why we do the things we do. And that's, and I always, I say on stage, you know, as Americans, we have, we really only have three things that are ours. We have musical theater, jazz, and baseball. <laughs> <laughs> those are our three genres that are ours, you know. Maybe we have some other stuff. That's pretty much it. And those, those are quintessentially American things. I really, really love those three things. And New York is the, just happens to be the Mecca for all three. I mean, that's why we're here. It is. You are so good with this stuff. I, oh, I'm thanks. super impressed, by the way. <laughs> Do I sound like Phoebe on Friends? I feel like I sound like an old man. You sound like Morgan James, by the way. Well, great. Yeah, you sound like Morgan. <laughs> like everything I would hope Morgan James would oh, sound thank like. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I need now, that, that to go on the cover of the album. <laughs> everything you hope Morgan James would sound like. <laughs> <laughs> we use it in the promo. <laughs> I got to tell you. We miss you around here on the Great White Way. You've been on quite a ride this year, though. Oh, 
that you know I miss I miss so much about being on Broadway and I miss the community most of all I really I never thought I would say that I miss the reliability and consistency of Broadway I never thought I'd say that but compared to my life now it's like oh man I miss the consistent Broadway schedule <laughs> um I people ask me a lot if I'm gonna come back you know and um I think if the right thing came along, I would love to. It's just hard to do what I do now and and be in a Broadway show. Obviously, it's they're both full-time jobs. I was going to say, do you still do the auditioning thing or has it really been just a focus on the music lately? I don't. I don't. I really stepped away just because I don't have the schedule for it. And I really thought that I owed it to myself to really commit to my music career and to my music life and really to see where that leads. And... You know, you really can't just put a toe in. You have to really dive in. You just helped open the Tyler Perry Studios in Atlanta. You're hanging out with former presidents, Beyonce, Samuel Jackson. That must have been amazing. Colin Kaepernick. (laughs) Um, No, it was incredible. Tyler Perry is one of the kindest, most generous people I've ever met and and that I can kind of consider him a friend now is kind of mind-boggling. And and what he's done, it was such a historic moment for um, the black community and 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 for entertainment in the entertainment industry. And and the fact that every other studio in in the country can fit in Tyler Perry Studios is pretty amazing. And not only did he honor so many legends of color with the dedications to the sound stages, but um, it was just such a celebration. It felt like such a celebration of so many legends across many, many generations. Everybody from Diane Carroll, who had just passed, and Sidney Poitier, and um, Ruby Dee, and Ossie Davis, and Whoopi Goldberg, Spike Lee, Denzel Washington, Halle Berry, Oprah, Will Smith. Um, it was incredibly overwhelming. And, you know, uh, I'm very, very honored to even be at it as a a spectator in those rooms, you know, and I got the chance to go to his birthday party two years ago and perform. And I kept saying, am I dead? Because this feels like heaven. This is what I would choose. Like sitting at a table with Cicely Tyson and Kerry Washington is definitely where I would choose to be in heaven. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's just, I'm very honored to be in that room, much less get to sing in front of those people and with those people. Now you've played some pretty big venues, but uh, you know, given everything surrounding an event like that, do you get intimidated at all, even at this point? Uh, no, I, I just want to do right by everybody. You know, um, I want to do right by, by Tyler. Anytime somebody puts their faith in you, um, that's, that's when you, that's when my closer instinct really kicks in. I, you know, and I'm like, I really have to knock this out of the park. I mean, in fact, he used all this baseball terminology. I texted him after the event and I was like, wow, I hope you're still flying high from such an incredible, um, historic event. And thank you for inviting me. And, and he said, I, you know, I'm really, you don't know how much I appreciate you stepping up to the plate like that. You know, last minute, he asked me to sing last minute. And yeah, it was just, I was singing in front of legends and people that I would always, I would kill to even meet, much less, you know, get to honor and get to be a part of a celebration for. So it's just, I, you don't forget those those kinds of moments. And, you know, no phones are allowed at his parties, which is why you remember the details so much. And I, um, again, it goes back to tradition, you know, and yeah, put your phones away, like be present, be just experience. I I did have to take the opportunity to take a picture with 
Kaepernick and with the Clintons because I, um, but outside of that, my phone was away. Everybody really kind of stays present, which is amazing. And it's rare today. It's rare. It's rare. What songs did you sing at the event? He asked me to sing um, This Is Me from The Greatest Showman, which was one of the themes that he used for his beautiful invitations. So it was one of the themes of the day. Um, right before me, uh, Jennifer Hudson had sung um, Impossible Dream. <laughs> no big deal. And then this like float comes out with a full gospel choir, full band, and I'm on it singing This Is Me as we kind of go up this huge, beautiful promenade of all the dedications. And then after me... Uh, Lettucey sang, um, and then Mary J. Blige sang after dinner. <laughs> it was it was crazy. That's a star-studded lineup. Beyonce hugged me. I mean, I think I can die now. <laughs> I just got to meet Rivera. There's a couple of people left on my list. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like a pinch me moment. Oh, it's like, yeah. am I really here right now? I got to meet um, Tino Martinez and... Um, uh, Gary Sheffield, a couple years ago, my friend worked for Steiner Sports, okay? And we were bartenders together back in the day when we first moved to New York. She would always get me tickets to the Yankees. She ended up working for Steiner, you know, does all the memorabilia for the Yankees. So she's like, I don't know if you'd want to come to this event on the east side. It's um, right after Tino got inducted to the Hall of Fame. Uh, Monument Park. Monument Park, yeah. So it was, um, I was the only woman... Um, under the age of 40. I might have been the only woman. <laughs> it was like such an old boys club event. And she was like, you really want to come? I was like, totally. Waited in line, got my pictures. Maybe Jeter was there too. Jeter was there too. He's boys with Tino. It makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they were, you know, yeah, waited in line for my pictures, geeked out. That's pretty That's awesome. That's all I have to say about that, but yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> That's amazing. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, it's funny. You know, before you mentioned the scrappy leadoff hitter type thing, I actually found a really good baseball parallel to your beginnings in New York, just from what I'm familiar with as far as your story goes, which okay. I thought was really cool. Do tell. Do you know Jose Altuve? No. Jose Altuve, second baseman on the Houston Astros, five foot six. Okay. He attended a tryout. He grew up in Venezuela. Um, and he showed up to the tryout and they told him to go home because of his height. He shows up to the second tryout the next day anyway. Al Padrique, who's now coached with the Oakland A's, uh, was actually special assistant for the team at the time. And he asked Altuve, can you play? And Altuve looked him dead in the eye and he said, I'll show you. They signed him to a small contract and what happens? 
He's like a six-time All-Star, three-time batting champion, an MVP. And then on Saturday night, he hit the walk-off home run against Aroldis Chapman to send the Astros to the World Series. This guy's become one of the biggest studs in baseball despite some of the adversity that was put in front of him. Now, you grew up in a performing-centric household. Both of your parents uh, had acting backgrounds in addition to being educators. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had your sights set on a goal to sing from an early age. And one thing I've always admired about certain performances is their tenacity and their persistence to pursue their <laughs> dream. That's me. <laughs> That's you to a T. You yeah. had a lifelong dream of going to Juilliard, and you made it happen, despite some of the obstacles that stood in your way. Um, tell the folks at home a little bit about what happened and how you pushed to get there. <clears throat> well, thanks for that comparison. I love that. Um all-star MVP world champion. Yeah, that, I don't mind that. That's, I, that's, that's what great. I feel right now. That, yeah, that's, <laughs> thank that's, you. That's, that's it. Uh, yeah, you, sometimes you need to hear that when you don't feel like an MVP, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wanted to go to Juilliard. Uh, you know, I always tell the story of, you know, um, you know, I kind of put the brochure on my voice teacher's piano. And everybody thought that was very cute and that, you know, regular people don't really get into Juilliard. In, in violin and piano and voice, you have to send a pre-screening tape. So it's just a lot of challenges that uh, ahead of you if you want to go in any of those disciplines to, to Juilliard. And so I sent in a pre-screening tape, you know, nick of time, put this thing together. I didn't know what I was doing. I was, you know, 17-year-old kid, 18-year-old kid. And I really had no, outside of some voice lessons, I had no, I didn't know how to play an instrument. I didn't know how to read music. I didn't know. I, did, I was not as prepared as some of these other kids, you know. And... Uh, Got an, invited to audition, came to audition, and then got asked to call back. And then after the callback, you have to do, like, all these different tests. And I'm wearing, like, pearls and a velvet gown, you know, like, it's so green, so. California style? <laughs> California style <laughs> opera nerd. And, you know, <clears throat> I totally fell in love with New York. I mean, that was the only tough part. I was like, oh, God, I have to be here. So it made me want to go there even more. And, you know, ultimately, I had applied to a bunch of California schools that I thankfully got into, but I got waitlisted at Juilliard. And when I got the waitlist letter, you know, you know when you get in, you get the big packet, and if you don't get in, you get the little envelope. And so I got the little envelope, and I was like, well, this is a mistake. I mean, I was kind of wasn't even upset. I was like, well, they must have made a mistake because I'm supposed to be there. And I basically started a campaign um, to convince them why they had made a mistake. So obnoxious, you know? I'll never know what truly made it happen, but I, I got into Juilliard ultimately, and I ended up going there and, and surviving it and graduating. And, I you know, I think that tenacity is like you, you have to have it to make it on Broadway for sure. It took me 10 years to get on Broadway. Um, I, I know a lot of people that gave up before, before that time came, talented people, really great people, hardworking people that, you know, just couldn't take the beat down, you know? And, you know, I, when it came time to, to get it, that I wanted a record deal or I had dreams of a record deal much later, you know, I auditioned for every single label and was rejected, including by the one that ultimately signed me. And sometimes you, I tell young people all the time, like, sometimes you just got to knock on a different door at the, in the same building. And I've never been easily deterred. Um, yeah, I think that that's... <laughs> something that you kind of either, I mean, New York either breaks you down completely or it or it helps you become, you know, a diamond or a pearl or whatever analogy you want to use. And I I still feel like it challenges me and I still feel like I haven't given up. <laughs> haven't given up yet. 
<laughs> you certainly have no reason to now, although it certainly might have been easy to, you know, especially when you, you're in your early 20s and whatnot. You know, at, when, when you come out of school like that, you know, you're constantly auditioning and trying to present yourself, uh, you know, I guess both on the singing and the acting front. Did you ever get discouraged? Every day, all the time. Um, I, I've never had an easy path. Um, and I, I, one of my managers, David, at one point just said, you know, rejection is part of your story. It's part of your path. It's not something that we necessarily have to rail against. It's part of your journey. And um, I haven't had, I wasn't one of these people that rolled out of school and got the jobs. You know, I wasn't one of these people that had, you know, had the magical time at the label or had the, you know, and that's okay. I think that there were years of babysitting and tutoring and bartending and waiting tables and catering and, uh, and it, it's incredibly um, character building and, and not everybody's on the same uh, speed path. Not everybody is um, meant to make it in the same way or at the same time. And it's okay, you know? And I, I kind of joke like, oh, I'm on that Bonnie Raitt path, you know? <laughs> and uh, yeah, sometimes I want it faster. Sometimes I wish things were different. I get discouraged still. But I'm not as discouraged as often as I'm encouraged. And I'm not, I'm, I'm thankfully still more inspired and more hopeful than I am discouraged. And that's the key. I totally get why people leave. I get why people can't take the rejection. You know, I don't sugarcoat that for kids when I talk to kids that want to be actors, you know. I get discouraged all the time. Um, but if your dream is like bright enough and strong enough and big enough, sometimes that carries you through those dark times, you know. Were you ever close to leaving before you got your big break? Yeah, yeah. I uh, gave up my apartment and I went to stay at my folks' place um, and I didn't know what I was going to do, uh, but I was kind of just really beaten down and I w couldn't get a break. And um, and I called my still my manager, Ted, so I have two managers, and I called him and said, I don't know if you remember, I was like, maybe I'll just see if this guy remembers me. So I called him, I said, do you remember me? He's like, yeah, come see me tomorrow. But I was like three hours away. So I took a train, came in and saw and met with him. And he said he wanted to rep me based on nothing, basically. And started sending me out and we started to kind of shape my career together. Um, and I don't know what I would do without people like that in my life. You know, I, I thankfully have a really great team of people who believe in me and and help me do things. You know, I don't do these things by myself. I have so many people help me do this, make this life happen. How did the Adams family happen? I started realizing that the best way to, to really break into the business was doing new work and getting in on the ground floor, doing workshops. And it, I think it still is the best way to break into the business. Um, I don't think I've ever booked a job on a, based on an audition. I'm a terrible auditioner. I think that I get jobs because um, somebody knows me and then somebody else knows me and then somebody else knows me. Quite often that's the nature of the business. Yeah, so. I really that's, think that's so. And so I met Mary Mitchell Campbell at the Eugene O'Neill. You know, it's all just a series of dominoes, you know, and then she kind of invited me to do one of the first workshops of the Adams Family and then... 
you know, Andrew Lippa heard me sing. And then I kind of, back in those days, I would try to do things that, that I thought made me irreplaceable. Of course, everybody's replaceable, but I was like, I'll just like ha- add a high E and then nobody can replace me. <laughs> I don't know. You're making yourself very, really valuable. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> you try, you have to try. You have to be really valuable for people to, you got to be a, uh, you know, utility, utility man. Touche. and uh and so once you get in the door i mean i knew that once i got one broadway show that then i would get some more it just works that way and it sure it sure did happen that way you know because then i met frank wildhorn and it took me 10 years to get the first one but then i did four back to back so it was really really fun couple of years whirlwind you know um and i before you get a Broadway show, you're just like, come on. I can't get a Broadway show until I have a Broadway credit, and I can't get a Broadway credit until I get a Broadway show. And everybody goes through that where nobody wants to take a chance on the new kid, you know. So at that point, are you are you more focused on acting than you are singing, or are you still trying to realize that dream of becoming a, of becoming a singer? No, I didn't even know that that was what I was going to do. That came about, I started my first band during the Adams Family. And what was the name of that band? Morgan James, the Morgan band. James band. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me, meaning I, meaning I started playing out solo during the Adams Family for the first time, and gathered together musicians and started to do that. And one thing that I've always found really unique about you, and I guess early in your career was kind of your forte. Um, while you still did some songwriting, you did a lot of covers, which, yeah. which, which I think what sets yours apart is that. You know, it's very easy for someone to cover an iconic song and just make it kind of a stale copy of the original. And you've always been able to really put your own voice to it and put your own Morgan James spin on it. Is that a skill that that you feel like you've always had or it took some real time to develop? I mean, I came to songwriting kind of late, you know? I, I had never written a song before I was really 29 or 30. Like, really. I uh, dabbled a bit, but I, I started a band doing covers. Like, the first show I did was at Le Poisson Rouge, and I had no idea what I was doing. The show was, like, two hours long. It had full band and a horn section. <laughs> just, people came, and, you know, what I started to kind of hear was people said, yeah, you should keep doing that. I, I, don't, know, I don't know where it'll lead you, but you need to do that. I want to hear you sing. I, wanna, I want you to become more of who you are going to be. And the first song I ever arranged was Call My Name by Prince, and which became a really, really iconic song for me and a very turning point song for me in my career. And I just realized that I was able to... I'm really attracted to great songs. I'm not attracted to garbage music. I'm attracted to great, iconic, historic musicians and singers and songwriters. And so when I take one of their songs or one of their entire albums, I I never like the phrase, I hear people say, what are you going to do with it? I was like, I'm not going to do anything with it because it's already perfect. All I'm going to do is live inside of it. And if somebody great, when Aretha covers a song, it's automatically better. Every single song she did and covered of other people's was automatically better. And so I looked at that and I said, what is she doing? She's just being herself. She's not changing it. She's just being Aretha. And so I I think of that all the time. What would Aretha do? I say that to myself. And I 
So I just wanted to figure out what is it that I like about all these, what unifies all this music that I love so much. And it's soulfulness, you know, it's authenticity. And um, so then I started to get the courage to write, but it's, it's, it was, it came from listening to other great artists and covering them and, and trying to figure out what my sound was. And you had gotten signed right around when you were doing Motown on Broadway? Yes. Uh, I got, I met Mr. Gordy, Barry Gordy Jr. when I did Motown. And um, he was just kind of an instant fan of mine and an instant champion. And he's a very, very special individual and, and one of the biggest gifts to come into my life, um, for sure. And he introduced me to Doug Morris at Sony. And he came to see my gigs. He would come in like incognito down to Rockwood Music Hall and see little gigs. And then he'd tell me what he thought. And sometimes people would recognize me and be like, is, Miss, is that Barry Gordy Jr. at Rockwood Music Hall? You know, it's wild. And he said to me early on, just like a random fun fact, but he said he called me after he saw me at Rockwood and he said, uh, call my name. Did you write that? And I said, no, Prince wrote that. And he goes, that's your song. You know, just he's just such a music man. And he called me one day and he said, hey, do you have a record deal? Like it was like a sandwich. Like you just go, you know, I was like, <laughs> no, I don't, sir. You know, and he's like, okay. You know, wheels, his wheels are always turning. He's always thinking of things. And he was instrumental, obviously, in getting me a record deal and encouraging me to write music. He was really, really instrumental in, in making sure that I created something original and real. And um, yeah, he's, I'm very lucky that I've had a few of these people come in and out of my life, you know. What's been your biggest inspiration behind your writing? My biggest inspiration behind my writing ties into my Broadway career because I think something that really made me ultimately leave Broadway was that I was performing every night to help someone else's dream. And I suddenly realized that I, I wanted to perform every night in doing my own music. And that whether it was a great night or a bad night, that it was my dream I was fulfilling and it was my, that I was the boss. And that was something that came to me later in life, you know? My inspirations, I have a lot of inspirations in terms of who inspires me to write. Uh, Aretha, obviously, Nina Simone, Joni Mitchell, um, Prince, D'Angelo, Paul Simon. I have lots of varied inspirations. And I look at the great albums that I love that I go back to again and again. And I just... I aspire to write a song that is so personal that it becomes universal because I really think that's the best songs are, they are about something deeply personal. Therefore they are universal to, and everyone can say that's about me. That, that is how I feel. That helps me get through this breakup. That helps me get through this death or whatever. And, um, and I love, you know, sad songs. I love, I love songs that really walk the line of melancholy and, and joy, you know? And I, I want to just constantly get better at songwriting. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You talked earlier about some of your inspirations. Before we get to the new album, I want to talk about the one you put out last year. You did a cover of the Beatles' White Album, one of the most iconic and one of my favorite albums in oh, music yeah? history. Absolutely. Oh, wow. yeah. Mid 60s to late 70s, that's my wheelhouse music genre. Wow. Which I'm sure you, yeah, if, you grew up, grew your, yep. if you grew up listening to your parents' records, same yep, thing, right? That's my absolute wheelhouse as well. Was it that taking on an album like that? Obviously, the music is brilliant. I mean, I, I it's if, uh, people have asked me before, you know, what's your favorite song in this album? What's your favorite song in that album? That that one in particular is particularly hard to choose. And it's a long album as well. It's uh, 30 songs. It's 30 songs. That's the other thing. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about you know that whole process because I take it, especially if it's an album that you love so much growing up, you feel like you're trying to do right by Paul and George and John, you know, all those great, you know, the iconic, the, the Beatles. I mean, it's like you're not just taking on any other <clears throat> covers here. This is something special. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I didn't grow up idolizing that record. I I would say that wasn't in my top three Beatles records. And the reason I covered it is because of the 50th anniversary. So I, I had done a few full album covers before. And so people were always like, well, what are you going to do next? I did Blue, Joni Mitchell. I did D'Angelo, Black Messiah. I did Continuum by John Mayer. I did Grace by Jeff Buckley. These are all Desert Island albums for me. Black Messiah, Blue, Grace, all these. So then I was like, oh, now what am I going to do? I said, I'm in between albums of my own. And I looked at the anniversaries and I was like, white album. It's like, that's going to be the biggest challenge I could ever take on. It's so iconic, but also so weird. And so many songs. So Doug, my husband, Doug Womble, um, he's like, okay, it's a lot of songs. Let's just do a guitar and vocal. And I was like, okay, great. And I was listening. I was like, um, maybe we could do a little more than guitar and vocal. He's like, okay, but it's a lot, you know? Ultimately, it ended up being this massive project. We did everything ourselves. I did all the vocals. He did every single instrument. He mixed it. He mastered it. So we did a complete duo. We, we were like in that world, that white album world, and we just totally immersed ourselves we did all the original keys because whenever I do a full album cover, I do the original keys, the original tempos, essentially. I don't, again, I don't like do like, oh, let's do Julia and Seven. No, I want to really, you know, pay tribute to the album. And by me being me, it will be my version. It will be my, you know, signature sound because I'm me, not because I turn it into a salsa. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And uh, we did this full album video as well. And I wanted something really visually and stunning. And we got this amazing artist to illustrate it. And I don't know. I, I just thought it would be an incredible challenge. And it really was. I did watch it. And I will say the one that, that you know, the particular song that I love the most that you did was While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And that was, uh, I mean, that's one of my favorites oh, of you. any yeah. Beatles song in general. It's such a great song. And I think you really captured the essence of it really well. Thank you. Now, this new album that you're about to put out, you went down to Memphis to record. Uh, what made you decide to go down there? Well, I've always wanted to make a classic record. I've always wanted to record to tape. And, you know, you hear about Aretha going to Muscle Shoals or people going to Memphis or Nashville or London or LA, going somewhere else and going and getting inside the culture there. And, and where you are... Everything from the people to the air to the water makes albums and makes music sound different. And so I wanted to get out of my comfort zone and go somewhere else. And Memphis is one of the great homes of soul music. And uh, it felt like the right time. We found an incredible place to record. We recorded on all vintage gear to, you know, analog tape. And um, I wanted to create something classic um, new music through the prism of something old. And I wanted to feel like I was a part of the tradition of soul music. So you went down there with the songs written uh, and tell us a little bit about what the process was like to actually get to record it. Yeah. You know, uh, I write most of my songs with Doug Womble. I, and I have a couple other songwriting partners on this album, but all the songs were written for this purpose, for this album. Every one of my albums before um, my other studio albums are called Reckless Abandon and Hunter. And those albums are a little more of potpourri. They're a little more like I wrote 30 songs and we'll see what makes it. I wrote with people in Nashville, L.A., New York, all over the place. Um, this album was when I would go into a songwriting session, I said, this is the kind of song I want. I was very clear in my vision of what I wanted it to sound like, look like. I wore vintage clothing every single day from the 60s and 70s. I was totally channeling other people and other parts of history that I love, you know. But I was still me. And the, we did an album shoot in the studio, and I got, like, vintage clothing in Memphis. I don't know. I just really wanted to um, kind of marry those two things that I love so much. Now tell me about this new single. I don't mind waking up to a love this good that you did with Ryan Shaw. Yeah, so I'm so excited about this song. Um, Ryan Shaw is one of my favorite vocalists, and I call him like the second coming of Sam Cooke. And he's he played Stevie Wonder in Motown, and he's incredible. He's soulful. He's real. He's hilarious and funny and handsome. He's everything. And we just became fast friends during Motown. Kept in touch. Wrote together hang out. When we got together to write this song, he's like, well, what do you want to write? And I was like, well, it was the first song I wrote for this album. And I said, oh, I want to write a song that like Sam and Dave would want to sing or Aretha or Otis. And he's like, okay, let's go with Sam and Dave. And I was like, let's write a duet for us. He's like, okay. So we started joking about, remember like old classic songs and how they'd have those long titles with parentheses and we started laughing, you know, but where the chorus would just be this long, you know, love letter, you know, something classic, something with, with a turn of phrase, something with real poetry, 
and that's what we wrote. You know, we he sat at the piano and we wrote it together and sang. And I mean, you can't go wrong with his voice. We made a video together, and we used two amazing Broadway dancers um, and a choreographer from Juilliard, and made this really beautiful, um, evocative video that I think really speaks to the song. So um, I'm really proud of it. I think that it's, uh, you know, when I was at the label, I was at Epic Records for many years and um, I wanted my first single off my first album to be Say the Words, which is a big, big Aretha ballad that I wrote. And it's my favorite song I've ever written. But of course, when you're at the label, they decide everything. (laughs) And they're like, oh, you can't release a ballad. But you know what? I'm independent now and I'm releasing a ballad as my first single. And I'm really happy about that. It's funny. You talk about some of the musicians that you've been working with. Uh, it's amazing. Even no matter where you go, you can never really escape that that Broadway community. It's always a part of no, you. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the hardest working people in New York and it's the hardest job. And if you want to get something done, you ask the busiest person, you ask the hardest working person, and they're probably working on Broadway. (laughs) (laughs) If you want something done right, truly. Now, how can the folks at home stay abreast as to everything pertaining to the new album? So my new album is available for pre-order on my website. There are tons of, there's merchandise. I design hats and shirts and posters and we're going to be on vinyl. It's going to be on vinyl, on CD, um, hard drives, everything. So you can go to morganjamesonline.com and there's everything there. Um, we're going to be selling it right there. And we're going to be plugging it right here on Break a Bat and the Break a Bat Instagram as well. So, oh, yay. Yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> now we're going to take a short break. When we come back, it's time for Fastball Derby. Stay tuned. Now, Morgan, you've accomplished some incredible things both on stage and in the studio, but now it's about to get tough. Okay. We're going to play fastball derby, ninth inning, two outs, tying run on third, go ahead run at second, and Araldus Chapman's on the mound throwing 105. (laughs) I ask you a question and you say the first thing that comes to your head. How does that sound? (laughs) Sounds good. Favorite New York meal? Good. (laughs) (laughs) oh god that's changed so much because i used to eat steaks all the time and now i'm a vegan favorite new york meal would now be um vegan mexican food at ya 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 plantas interesting you've been there (gasps) so good beatrice has been there what we have to we have to pick some up after this it's so i mean i used to work at like I'm like meat and potatoes came from Idaho, worked at like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse when I first moved here. I've gone the total opposite direction of my life. Like used to eat steak and potatoes and now I eat just plants. <laughs> <laughs> if you were a baseball player, what position would you be and why? Shortstop. I'm fast. I'm scrappy. I, I think of that as like, yeah, bouncing all around. Well, actually, when I did play on the Broadway Show League softball, I was a catcher. And we had a joint team, Adam's Family and Million Dollar Quartet. And um, there were two girls on our team, Katie Lathan and myself. And I was the catcher and Hunter Foster was the pitcher. 
And he still calls me catch to this day. <laughs> Hi, Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> and I was horrible. <laughs> You're a Yankee fan. Jeter or A-Rod? Jeter. How Please. come? Jeter, oh my gosh. He's like, he's like the ultimate family man of baseball. It's total loyalty, total just knew where, what he was supposed to do with his life from day one, never missed a beat, so consistent, so... He just, he did what he was supposed to do with his life. So good at his job. He just, those come along once in a generation. You ever meet him? Once. Was that, was that that Tino yeah. event? Yeah. That's fantastic. He's so dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> so you and Jennifer Lopez have different tastes, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah, he dated, Jeter dated Mariah. Come on. There's no, there's no contest. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know. A-Rod had Kate Hudson, though. And I'm a Kate Hudson. I I like Kate Hudson. <clears throat> it's Jeter all the way. We can fight all day long. All right. <laughs> I love your holiday covers. And the season is right around the corner. Ooh. What's Morgan James's favorite holiday tradition? Favorite holiday tradition? Um, I love... Being in New York at the holidays, I just love being here. I love not having to be away at the holidays and getting to be in New York and going to the markets and seeing all the lights and um, putting up a tree in my little apartment. Real tree, right? Real tree. At a girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you can pick any artist or band of all time. What's your dream duet and who do you sing it with? Of all time? Um, a dream duet is different than, I mean, like I, I would kill to go back in time and listen to get to see Nina live or meet Nina Simone, but a dream duet, um, I don't know. Or it doesn't I, even have to be like a duet. It could be a song uh, that you're, let's say you like Paul Simon. You could do, you could call me out alongside Paul <laughs> Simon. It just happens to be my anthem. That's just the example I'm using. But. <laughs> um, Oh my gosh! Wow, that's hard. Uh, yeah, I, I'd go back and I, I want Nina at the piano or Aretha at the piano and get to sing something with them. Th- then when they play the piano and sing, there's nothing better than that. <laughs> if you were ever to return to Broadway, what's your dream role and dream show? It would be something new. I want I want to do something that's that I get to originate. Um, but if I was going to do something that already exists, I want to do something classic. Actually, something that maybe fans don't know that I can do, like Most Happy Fella, or um, I would love to play Dot in Sunday in the Park with George. Favorite late night snack? You come home from a concert, 20 song set list, it's after midnight. What's Morgan grabbing before she hits the couch? I eat chips and hummus every single night. You could do a lot worse. That's fantastic. Yeah, or like carrots and hummus almost every single night. Yeah. Or popcorn. I eat popcorn almost every night. (laughs) (laughs) Red wine or white wine? Red wine. Nice. All-time favorite show tune? All-time favorite show tune. I guess I would choose uh, Being Alive. Does that count? Counts. It's a show tune. Yeah. It's a tune of show. Yeah. I love I'm the Greatest Star from Funny Girl, too. That's a classic. 
I love that show. I'd love to hear you do some Barbara stuff. I bet that would, I, th- I think that would go over really well. I, I like, I, I like her, her canon. <laughs> do, you, do you like the Beach Boys? Um, yeah, I was always more of a, not that you have to choose, but I was always a little more into the, I never got into the Beach Boys as much, but I mean, in my top five of all songs ever is, um, uh, God Only Knows. So that's on the Pet Sounds album. Now I know you like anniversaries. It's not a round number, but we've got the 55th anniversary coming up of that. I'd love to hear what you could do with like God Only Knows, mm. Luke John B, Wouldn't It Be Nice, all on the That's Pet a great Sounds. album. That is a great album. I think you'd crush it. If you need a creative consultant, I'm happy to help. Thank you. Well, I do need some ideas for more full album covers. <laughs> All right. And it's only like 14 songs compared to White Album, which now is that like I've twice done the, the White length. Album, <laughs> anything is easy after that. Go-to pre-show ritual. Well, I travel with my dogs and I get to take them everywhere I go. And so it's really calming to do mundane things with the dogs because it keeps me grounded, you know? There's nothing like picking up dog crap and to keep you humble. <laughs> yeah, you know, I they get to they sit with me while I do my makeup and I I take my time and, you know, I don't have a lot of um superstitions or rituals before a show, but um and I usually have to do a lot of things like set up merch and do a meet and greet and, you know, meet donors and I have to do a lot of stuff so it's good to check back in and animals keep you really grounded. Proudest moment of your career. <clears throat> Proudest moment of my career. It was, I've had a lot of, you know, really great honors, you know, getting to perform at the, at Carnegie Hall, getting to perform at the Kennedy Center. Um, graduating from Juilliard, you know. Um, um God, that's hard. I don't know. Surviving, still being here, can that count? I think it does. <laughs> I haven't given up. <laughs> it's it's gotten you pretty far. Yeah. Well, I'm still here. I think it's a war of attrition. I'd say I'd say that all the time. It's really it's not the it's not the best people. It's just the it's the people that that don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, best piece of advice anyone ever gave you. Can I do two? Absolutely. There's no rules. It's fastball derby. Uh, Mr. Gordy told me, um, you you need to remember that a star is in the sky, whether anybody can see it or not, whether it's dark or light. And you're a star, whether anybody knows it yet or not. So don't forget that you're a star. And Tyler Perry told me, you never know who's listening. And I think about that every single day because it's very, very easy to say, well, nobody cares and I don't have what I want. And and it's very easy to have pity for myself or any performer or feel like other people get something or feel like you're not succeeding. And you just don't know who's listening. And you don't know who's watching what you're doing. So you always need to do your best work because you just don't know who's watching. Awesome. Now, are you excited about the year ahead? I'm really excited, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be a good one. Well, I, like we said, you know, we're so happy that we had the chance to have you in today. Thank and, you so uh, much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure, Morgan. And you know what? That'll close out the ball game, folks. Um, thank you for listening to us here on the Broadway Podcast Network. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. 
This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast. And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.